Welcome to episode 139 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNUs. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got a huge week of news with the latest release of the Linux kernel with Linux 5.11. KDE announced the release of Plasma 5.21. We've got a lot of distro news from Fedora, Linux Mint, and Dev1. And later in the show, we'll talk about some news from Pine64 about the PinePhone, as well as the Kodi Entertainment Center has a new release. And we've got some exciting news from GNOME for the GNOME software. Uh, wait, wasn't there something else? Um, oh, right. Linux is on Mars now. So there's that. And we've got a lot more to talk about. So coming up on this week's episode of Twill, this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. Before we get started with the show, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping and just let you know about some stuff that you may have missed on the Destination Linux Network. For example, there is a fantastic interview with Gerald Pfeiffer from SUSE. He's the CTO of SUSE and also the chairman of the OpenSUSE board. So if you are any, interested at all in OpenSUSE or SUSE, you definitely need to check it out. And if you aren't, Maybe you will be by checking out the interview because it was a fun interview. We learned a lot of stuff about SUSE and OpenSUSE and how they work together and that sort of stuff. So check that out. I have a link in the show notes for that episode of Destination Linux. And uh, you'll, you're, you're definitely going to enjoy this one. Uh, first in the show this week, we have the namesake of the show. The Linux kernel has released 5.11. There's a lot of great stuff for hardware, software. Actually, you know, just Linus showed some love to the Linux community by releasing it on Valentine's Day. So thank you very much. So 5.11 has a lot of cool stuff. We're going to talk about some hardware, some software things. But first of all, let's talk about some stuff with Intel. So there's some gaming-related improvements for Intel, such as the integer scaling graphics support, which is a notable thing for uh, Pixel art type of games. They've also added async page flipping support and using page flipping is a nice optimization for screen updates as it avoids uh, copying the application render buffer to separate scan out buffers. And what does that mean? Well, this matters because many applications uh, pushing the performance of the graphics hardware like basically right to the edge and it's not an uncommon thing for some frames to be just missed or create this weird jerking motion in the screen. So a async page flipping allows for improvements uh, to Intel's Linux gaming performance for this kind of thing with like full screen applications and full full screen games and that sort of stuff. So that's why that's important. Also, there's been some initial support for a AMD's Green Sardine and Van Gogh APUs, which is which are code names for AMD's mobile hardware series for laptops. There's also support and improvements added for other Radeon RX 6000 series GPUs. And there's also been some improvements to the performance for AMD with the schedule till schedule till I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that but anyway not too long ago there was a frequency um invariance performance regression found for AMD workloads. And this regression has been addressed, but not just that. Actually, many of the workloads that were experiencing this regression are now better off than they were before the Linux 5.10 release or even prior. So that is fantastic news. They And it, they improved the performance for fixing that regression and also just made it better overall anyway. So Fantastic to hear that. And also there's been some improvements for uh, Nuvo KMS for the NVIDIA GA100 slash the GeForce RTX 3000 series for the or Ampere branch. Uh, this is just the kernel mode setting. That's what KMS stands for, which uh, is dis it's a display port for 
um, to display support, but it does not really include 3D acceleration, so it's not like a full-blown usage. This should make it so that at least the display should be working well enough to go to NVIDIA's website to install the proprietary drivers until the Nuvo drivers are more complete for that support in a future kernel release. Uh, but I just wanted to take a moment to say, NVIDIA... Don't you think it would, you know, make sense to have like basic support at least? I know you aren't interested in following AMD's lead and showing the uh, that you know they did open source drivers because they found it was the best way to go, and maybe at least some basic functionality for your your drivers should be available in the kernel by you because so it would work at all just to get to the website to get the proprietary at the very minimum. That'd be great. Just consider that. Anyway, moving on. Also, uh, ButterFS performance improvements have been made. Uh, USB 4 and Thunderbolt support have had improvements as well. And they have done a lot of work on a system, syscall user dispatch, which is notable because this affects running Windows apps under Wine and playing Windows games via Steamplay slash Proton, that sort of stuff. Essentially, this is improvements to lowering the overhead of intercepting those system calls for Windows programs, making it better performant overall, which is fantastic. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of the Linux kernel 5.11. I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the awesome news about Linux and open source being on Mars. There's actually a lot of cool things related to this. It's not just that it's running some kind of computer stuff. It's in fact running a drone. So we'll get to that in a second. So there's a Mars rover that is being, you could kind of call it a moving Mars science lab. And that is the Perseverance and this is really cool because it landed on Mars and accompanying with it is a drone helicopter called Ingenuity. And if all goes well, Ingenuity will be the first vehicle to ever fly on another world and it will be using Linux. So it will be flying itself using a combination of Linux and NASA built program based on the Jet Propulsion Laboratories or JPL open source F prime framework. This is because it will be uh, basically 11, 11 light minutes from Earth, meaning it will take light 11 minutes to reach Mars from Earth. So the, my, my fellow gamers out there will know that that's a little a bit too much lag. So it would, it would have to be uh, flying itself in that case. Uh, but no one has ever tried to fly anything on Mars, so this is going to be really awesome. And the fact that Linux is being powering this is just fantastic. It's not designed to support the uh, Perseverance mission, which is searching for signs of ancient life and collecting rock and dirt samples. Its mission is its own, so kind of to show that it's possible to fly on Mars using commercial off-the-shelf hardware and open-source software. In an IEE interview, uh, the IEE there's three E's in this, IEE Spectrum interview. Timothy Canham, uh, a JPL in embedded flight uh, software engineer, explained the helicopter's processor board is powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 801 running at 500 hertz, not megahertz, hertz. And while that sounds kind of slow and old, it's actually much faster than the Perseverance processor, which is... Uh, basically because they have these regulations and radiation standards that they have to meet in order to do this so they are not using the latest and greatest hardware. So uh, NASA's grade CPUs and chips must meet NASA's high-performance spaceflight computing uh, radiation standards, the HPSC, and these customized processors take years of design work and testing before they're certified for spaceflight. For instance, NASA's new general-purpose processor is an ARM A53 variant you may know from the Raspberry Pi 3, but in Ingenuity, 
as a demo project can use more ordinary, thus more modern CPUs. That's why it has a much faster one in comparison. And it's also worth noting that these, it's using an open source operating system, obviously, because it's using Linux, but it's also the flight software for the framework is also open source. And the parts that you get, uh, you can get these parts commercially that make the drone. So in a way, you may be able to try this yourself. I mean, not on Mars just yet, but in general, the building of the actual helicopter you might be able to do that. So this is very, very cool. If you're not familiar, NASA is also using Linux for the International Space Station, and it was one of the first uh, supercomputers they helped make the... Well, basically, right now, Linux powers all of the top 500 supercomputers, but NASA was the first to implement that, which created this you know, rolling on of just dominating the supercomputer market, which is fantastic. So NASA has been a big proponent of Linux for many, many years. And I am just so excited to see that, you know, in the first attempt to have a flying vehicle on Mars is being powered by Linux. And that is just awesome. And I just love space topics anyway. And having an excuse to talk about it on this show is just all the better. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links to articles for this uh, news related to ingenuity and perseverance in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some more great news, this time from the KDE community. They have announced that the official release of KDE Plasma 5.21 desktop environment is now available. Plasma 5.21 brings in with it a massive amount of updates and improvements, including a new redesigned interface for the kickoff application launcher, a, a brand new theme called Breeze Twilight, and many, many more enhancements. KDE says that the Plasma 5.21 is all about upgrading the looks and usability of Plasma, and this release shows how much time and effort has gone into it. I've been using KDE Plasma as my daily driver a desktop environment since at least uh, 2014, and it's just been getting better and better with every release. It's no surprise to longtime listeners of Twill that I'm always excited to see a new release of Plasma, though if you aren't aware of my KDE fandom, then be sure to check out the video I made about my top five reasons for why I use KDE Plasma. I'll have that linked in the show notes. But continuing on, there are many things I've wanted to see added to the KDE Plasma desktop environment over the years, to, and this, this, this is so good because it seems that the team has decided to give me a gift of all of them. Uh, maybe not for Valentine's Day technically because it was after, but you know, close enough. Anyway, so KDE created a new application launcher, which is a very welcome improvement to the previous default menu. They've also introduced a new light slash dark uh, hybrid theme called Breeze Twilight, which is also very welcomed. And so let's talk about a few of these things that they have for this latest release. So let's talk about the new application menu. KDE team have created a new app launcher for this latest release with a redesign of Kickoff. The new Kickoff makes it faster and easier than ever to find and run your apps. This new launcher features a two-pane approach to the design to make it simple to locate programs, and it comes with improvements to keyboard, mouse, touch, imp touch inputs, and also has a boosting of accessibility across the, the board for different uh, functionality, so that is always great to hear. Uh, this new app menu also includes uh, a new view for like all applications, side by side with a grid for your favorite tool, like favorite apps and that sort of stuff which is really nice and it also has the power actions at the bottom of the launcher at all times so you can easily uh, quickly clear us uh, select the sleep restart shutdown etc types of, of options which is really nice to see because there's some of the buttons some like some of them the old kickoff had it behind this 
uh, category structure, and it's really nice to have this nice merge between the old uh, kickoff style and the kicker uh, menu because I always preferred the kicker menu because it just it just it got out of the way and it and cu- the original kickoff kind of felt a little cumbersome to me. So it's really nice to see this uh, mix of both options because it just gives you the best of both worlds, which is always nice. And in addition to best of both worlds, we have Breeze Twilight. So Breeze Twilight is a sparkling new plasma theme. It has it's arrived on this latest release, and it actually Fedora has decided to push it as their default theme going forward, which is fantastic. So you may be uh, curious, why exactly is this important? Well, it's just a new theme, but at the same time, it's a great theme because it creates this uh, dark feel for the plasma interface elements and a light theme for the applications. So again, best of both worlds. You get all the nice... Uh, out-of-the-way experience with the plasma shell, with the menus and the, uh, the the panels at the bottom and that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you still have focus on your applications, which is a nice thing that Kubuntu introduced uh, in 2018 with their uh, 1804 release. And almost instantly, it was a big hit with the community and many KDE Plasma fans requested something like that of being available on their preferred distribution. And now with the release of 521, Breeze Twilight is available to all Plasma peeps out there, regardless of which distro that you want to use on the daily. And I hope that going forward, the Breeze Twilight becomes the default for just KDE Plasma in general, because it's it's fantastic. But in the meantime, you can change it in the global theme settings for your system settings if you'd like to use it. And also, uh, the Plasma System Monitor has been introduced in this latest release. This is a basically a replacement for KSysGuard. Now, this is very cool because it gives you a lot of information. You can even create custom views or custom pages to display what kind of information you want to see inside of the System Monitor. But in addition to that, there's a lot of advanced details. So you can see uh, application, like running applications along with detailed statistics and graphs related to them. Uh, process page also has uh, per process information. History shows the evolution of the use of your machines over time and a bunch of other great stuff like uh, offering an overview page for information on important core resources such as memory, disk space, network, CPU usage, and a lot more. So this is really nice to see. It also is a very nicely designed system monitor, which is not something I expected to ever say, so that's fantastic as well. And in addition to that, one more thing I want to talk about is the improved Wayland support for KWIN. Uh, KDB, KDE has been pushing to have first-class support for Wayland in Plasma uh, for a while, and this latest release with 5.21 makes massive progress towards reaching that goal. They have extensively refactored the uh, com- compositing code in KWIN, and the changes should reduce latency throughout all composite, uh, compositing opera- operations. They've also added an option in the compositing settings so you can choose between having lower latency and smoother animations. So this is fantastic because it improves the support over Wayland, which means that we're getting closer and closer to uh, more broadly supported uh, Wayland options for various different distributions. This is also one of the things that made uh, Fedora interested in using Wayland by default for KDE in uh, Fedora 34, which is really cool. They've actually done something that I kind of hope relates to something else in the future. So first, just real quick, they have added support for mixed refresh rate display setups on Wayland, which is really exciting because it means that you can have different uh, monitors having, say, for example, one has a 60 hertz monitor, another one's a 144 hertz monitor, and they w- you wouldn't have to worry about one being dropped down to like the 
lower com- lowest common denominator, it would be able to do both of them independently. So you have smooth refresh on both both monitors, which is really cool. But it also kind of implies that having this separation of monitors mean maybe they could do more separation of things. And something I've always wanted, which I think would be very, very cool, is a separate de- uh, virtual desktop or workspace per monitor. Like, so you could independently move the monitors at once. Like, so you don't have to have every single uh, workspace or virtual desktop move on all monitors every time you switch. That would be fantastic. And it seems like this is maybe a step there, or at least potentially. It's, It's not like this is actually directly related to that, but it just gives me hope that that will happen. So if possible, KDE, think about it. Uh, there's also a lot of other improvements related to Wayland as well, and just a lot of great stuff in KDE's. Uh, just the roadmap for KDE Plasma is just so good, and I can't wait for the to try this out because uh, it's not available in most distributions just yet. However, there are some that have the testing if you want to try it out, and I'm looking forward to giving it a go pretty soon. Uh, they've been making a lot of strides in design and user experience with recent releases, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, if you've if you've tried KDE Plasma 5.21, or if you're going to try it, let me know in the comments below what you think, because I'm curious about what your thoughts are on the experience of all these changes. Do you consider them improvements or maybe not? Just let me know in the comments below, and if you'd like to learn more about this release, check out the links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. Use a simple, intuitive, and visually rich experience to rapidly build, deploy, manage, and scale applications. Support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images are available through this app platform. And additionally, you also get high scalability and zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It handles the infrastructure like app runtimes and dependencies so that you can push code to production in just a few clicks. A secure apps automatically as well. They create, manage, and, re- and create, manage, and renew your SSL certificate certificates and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. So this also allows you to run code with little to no customizations because App Platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code and creates containers and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Nope, wait, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. A few weeks ago on Twill, we talked about Fedora Kinoite, or Kinoite, as I like to say it, and how it was being discussed for potential approval for inclusion in a future Fedora release. I have an update on this topic, and I'm very pleased to let you know that Fedora Kinoite has been approved and will be uh, coming with Fedora 35 this fall. For those who aren't familiar with what Kinoite is, well, basically, it's an immutable desktop spin that is similar to Fedora's Silverblue option. Uh, the difference between Silverblue and Kinoite is, well, Silverblue uses the, the GNOME desktop, and Kinoite 
makes use of the KDE Plasma desktop environment. And why is this exciting? Well, let's talk about what an immutable desktop spin is. Uh, essentially, this means that the root file system of the distro will be in a read-only state, as in nothing can be changed inside of it by the user, as it, this gives a lot of great uh, flexibility for the development on the back end of the core. So that might sound weird, but it's very cool because it means that the back end core components and, or can be easily replaced by updates so that you know without a doubt that the updates will practically always be reliable. I'm not going to say a guarantee, but pretty close to that though. Uh, you can still make changes and add applications, of course. All that sort of stuff will there will be there on a higher level layer, while all the stuff underneath will be in a read-only state, and that's just for the core elements. So you still can use it as a regular uh, operating system and that kind of thing. It's just the fundamental stuff would be read-only, which makes it really easy to replace the stuff underneath when there's times for updates, which is why it's a very cool concept. Uh, Fedora does this by making use of RPM OS tree, uh, Flatpaks, Podman, and other technologies. And you may be wondering, where did the name Kinoite or Kinoite come from? Well, it's named because KDE often names things beginning with K, and Kinoite happens to be a blue mineral, which makes it a reference to the beginning with K and also a reference to Fedora's Silver Blue project. And sometimes I like to call it Kinoite because in Japanese, that means there is a tree. When I first found out about this project, I didn't know how to say it, and I didn't know about the mineral thing, so I found the Japanese translation of this word, which accidentally fit as a play on words for OS tree. Once I asked the Fedora devs about it, turns out that that was a happy accident, and because of it, some people like to say it Kinoite, and some people like to say it Kinoite now. So anyway... It's whatever you, I don't know what the official one is yet. I think they're still kind of deciding on it, but I think it's leaning towards Kinoite. But I like to say Kinoite because it's just more fun to say. So Fedora Kinoite will be coming later this fall. And I'm very much looking forward to trying it out because it looks like a fantastic idea. And as a fan of both Fedora and KDE Plasma, this looks pretty cool. So if you'd like to learn more about it, I have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is going to be an interesting topic. So the Linux Mint team posted a blog on their website for a notice encouraging users to install security updates because they say that their internal statistics indicate significant numbers of users are not installing those updates. The blog post is entitled, Update Your Computer! with an exclamation point. And it also touches on that uh, potentially significant amount of users are still running end-of-life or EOL versions of Linux Mint. Their stats indicate that anywhere between 5% to 30% of users are still running Linux Mint 17, which was end-of-life at uh, 2019 in April. So this means users are using versions that aren't seeing updated uh, for almost two years at this point. So why the large range of statistics? Well, the 5% measurement is from the browser start page tracking, and the 30% is from the apt repository monitoring stuff. Uh, so this lack of knowing how many affected could be argued as a reason for a minimal amount of tele telemetry being a good idea to add to this to a distro. But that's a different topic for a different day, so we're not going to get to that. But it just thought it was interesting that there was that big, of a, big gap of a range. Uh, but anyway, so here's the thing. Linux Mint is encouraging people to update their system, and that is great. So it's very good that they are doing that and encouraging people and users to do security updates. But I think it's worth noting that a potential reason for this lack of updating by Linux Mint users 
is Linux Mint themselves. If you are new to Linux and you may not be aware, but for many years, Linux Mint kind of discouraged security updates. They may not have done it intentionally. It may have been just an unintended result of their previous update policy, but nonetheless, in my opinion, this really shouldn't be that surprising. They mentioned how Linux Mint 17 is still being used. Well, here's what the update tool looked like in Linux Mint back then. As you can see, there is this uh, update leveling system. So for the audio listeners, the update tool in Linux Mint back then used a five-level system to express whether or not users should install updates. So the four and five were levels that suggested to the user that they would be seeing potential breakage and resulted in discouraging people from updating anything from those levels. So security updates were in those levels, of course. So essentially, they were at one point discouraging people from installing security updates. Maybe not on purpose, maybe that's not what the intent was, but that's kind of what happened. And the updating process between big major versions of Linux Mint from, say, 17 to 18 or 18 to 19 were, to put it mildly, they were not ideal experiences. Uh, this is not to say that Linux Mint were doing this on purpose or to bash them in any way, but it is something that shouldn't be ignored because if there isn't another distro out there doing something similar, hopefully they learn from this and address it immediately. Because so Linux Mint addressed this, some of this anyway, in Mint 18.3 with the introduction of time shift to roll back after bad updates, for an example. And this is an improvement to the previous structure, but it's just a it's kind of a band-aid on the issue rather than fixing the underlying technical issues that are actually causing this kind of thing. Uh, but that's a different topic for another day. Uh, this is ultimately a good thing for them to encourage their users to install updates. So I guess the, T the TLDR of this is security updates are important. A lot of Linux Mint users aren't installing those updates, and Mint suggests that they do so as soon as possible. And they also say that you should not be running an end-of-life version of Linux Mint. In fact, I would say that it's a good suggestion to you know, not run an end-of-life version of anything. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, then check out the links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Cody. Cody19 has been released. This is codenamed Matrix. If you're not familiar, uh, Cody is a very popular entertainment center software that's been around since 2002, and it's been my favorite for a very long time. Uh, Cody originally started its life as Xbox Media Center, or XBMC, but they later changed its name for better branding and a variety of other reasons. So Cody is a entertainment center that runs on multiple platforms, most of them anyway, uh, Linux, Android, Windows, Mac OS, etc a bunch of others. Uh, Cody19 has been in development for the past two years, and it comes with nearly 5,000 commits since the Cody18 release. And there's a lot of cool features. I can't cover everything because there's just so much, but we're going to talk about some highlights. So first of all, that has support for the AV1 video decoding. It has uh, They've fin finished the migration from Python 2 to Python 3, and also add-ons have been updated for Python 3 support as well. Any add-on that was maintained is has been updated to Python 3, which is great. Uh, Cody19 also improves the handling of multi-disc CD sets and box sets, adds supports for changing the subtitle opacity, and also adds a new uh, dark color or dark gray color scheme to the subtitles. Cody19.0 uh, also has many audio video playback related improvements, such as a new uh, now playing view for music playback with uh, details for the currently playing or selected song, a redesigned music full screen slash uh, visual visualization mode as well. They've also added integer scaling, which we discussed in the Linux 5.11 topic, because this is now supported for playing uh, game emulation inside of uh, Kodi, so it improves 
the quality of pixel art games inside of Kodi, which is fantastic. They've also redesigned the seek bar so that you can now automatically hide it when pausing video playback. And they've done a lot of stuff for the uh, PVR module, which is the personal video recorder. It has been greatly enhanced in this release with support for uh, reminders, uh, TV and radio channel groups, home screen widgets, dynamic PV PVR categories for estuary, which is the uh, default Cody theme and a lot of other stuff. There's actually a lot more just even in the PVR module stuff, but there's a ton of stuff related for Cody in, if, in this release. And if you want to check it out, I'll have links to uh, the latest blog post for the release of, of Cody 19, as well as if you want to check it out yourself, I have links for the downloads as well for, in the show notes. So check it out, Cody 19. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager software, and this allows you to get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, securing your online accounts is very important because the best security practices for passwords these days is to have a different password for every account on every website that you sign up to. And sure, this makes sense as a policy, but without a password manager, that's kind of a, very, a pretty painful thing to do. But Bitwarden solves this by providing tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you so you don't have to come up with them, and it even automatically fills in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to. You can access your data across many types of devices like your web browser, using their mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line. Also, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because in addition to all of these great features, it also is 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means the features and security of their infrastructure can be vetted and improved by the community. And they don't just stop there. They could stop there because that's already awesome, but they also bring in third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it is as safe as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But I think you want to check out their premium account because in addition to all all of that great stuff, you also get a lot of other great stuff like the one gigabyte encrupted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, and others, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, which is temporary one-time password. You don't know what that is. Uh, also, it has a priority customer service with those, and you get it for just less than a dollar per month. It's only $10 per year. So less than a dollar per month, you get all of these great features and it's just fantastic. Bitwarden is a piece of software that I have been using for many, many years, even before they were a sponsor for this show, because it is just, it was just a lifesaver to find a really nice password manager that is also open source. Just, you know, just made it with a simple, simple solution for me to choose it. Very little effort made me want to make that decision. So make the smart move for like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and they let, just let you give peace of mind knowing that your passwords and other sensitive data are also are all safe while also supporting a company that truly gets open source. You can sign up for their $10 per year, again, less than a dollar per month premium account to let them know that you appreciate them supporting open source and also supporting this week in Linux podcast. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show, we got some news from Pine64, the makers of the Pine phone, which if you're not familiar, is a Linux-powered smartphone. And they have announced that they have chosen their default operating system and graphical environment for the Pine phone. Not too long ago, Pine64 announced that they wouldn't be having any more community editions of the Pine phone. And now they've announced the operating system and develop, the desktop environment that they have chosen for the default 
of the PinePhone going forward, and that is Manjaro Linux ARM as the operating system and using KDE's Plasma Mobile as the graphical interface. Uh, to quote the Pine64 team, they say that we have a long-standing relationship with Manjaro and the KDE community, and both projects have supported us and our efforts since the dawn of Pine64. The promise that Pine's that Plasma Mobile held in its early stages was the deciding factor for us to proceed with creating the Linux smartphone in the first place, which that is something I didn't know about their reasoning for doing it, which is fantastic because I actually am a big fan of KDE Plasma, as most people are aware of, and Plasma Mobile looks like a fantastic thing that I can't wait to try out, so I do want to try this out. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting that they've tried to, they decided to uh, stop the community editions and uh, do this more like a standard phone option that then you could change because, you know, PinePhone users will still be able to change the operating system for a variety of different other operating systems if they choose to do so. That part will not be affected by this. It is just that they will no longer rotate what will be coming by default in the devices. Uh, also, Pine64 announced that their intention of continuing uh, supporting mobile Linux development in a variety of ways, having a different... Uh, they'll be explaining what they're going to be doing in the coming weeks. They haven't specified exactly, but they did specify something that I have been wanting for a while. They have confirmed that they will be selling br uh, branded back covers for the Pine Phone with logos of projects. Like if you want a, if you have a, a one of the community editions and you want to change the back for uh, a different edition, you can do so now by purchasing the back covers and they're planned to be at like a $15 price point. And they say that out of that 15, 10 of that will be going towards the donation to the project that you get the logo for. And the, uh, the, other, the other parts is for materials and that sort of stuff, which is fantastic because it means they're not really putting... It's not for a profit thing. It's just for people who want to have a cust like a different back cover on their phone. Like for me, for example, I would like to get the KDE logo on the back of my phone. Uh, nothing against the one I already have, but I would like the KDE one because I want to. But anyway, so this is really cool, and there's actually a lot of really great information on the February update for the Pine64 team. They have a lot of cool stuff about the uh, new keyboard attachment for the Pine phone. They've got some stuff about the Pine tab and the Pinebook Pro and a bunch of other stuff. If you want to learn more about this, I'll have a link to their blog post for the February update in the show notes below. So up next in the show, I wanted to talk about something from the GNOME team, and that is that the GNOME software is being redesigned. There is a thread on uh, GNOME's GitLab instance that I think is just quite exciting for GNOME users, and also just in general, because GNOME software is used in a lot of different DEs and stuff like that. Uh, GNOME is making progress on GNOME 40, and we'll talk about that in the future when it gets closer to March when they do the release. But on their, Git, their GitLab, they may, are talking about making improvements to the GNOME software app store, and this is great news because a lot of people uh you know because let's be honest the gnome software current app store is it's um not beloved i don't actually i don't know if there's any beloved app stores now i think about it so but anyway uh gnome software is not at the top of the list for a lot of people because of some uh some ways of usability issues and that sort of stuff but there's a this thread is talking about redesigning it with new mock-ups and new uh workflows and all sorts of stuff which has a lot of people interested including myself because i think that there's a lot of potential here they're talking about uh having more informative app app listing pages installing per user or system-wide having the ability to uh ability to install apps from a USB drive, 
Also, uh, there's a, a new section for compatible add-ons and improved screenshot gallery. There's also going to be an uh, other apps by section, which is great because it gives you a way to discover other applications created by the same developer or project. Also, they're doing things about having uh, easier access for links for getting help or reporting bugs and that sort of stuff. So this is just fantastic to see that they're doing this work on the App Store because these mock-ups just look great. As you can see in the video version, it is a, a, a very nice improvement to the current one. Like the current one doesn't look bad. It's just this looks better, which is really nice to see. And also keep in mind that these are, you know, these are mock-ups at the time. Uh, we, we don't know how close the mock-ups will be to the finalized version. But I think this is very exciting for users because, I mean, I've been wanting a modern app store for a long time on Linux, and it seems we may just get one with this new version of GNOME software. So uh, thank you very much for the GNOME team to make it to creating this because I, I can't wait to try it out myself. And I know I'm going to have to wait because it's still really early days of me talking about this. But as soon as I saw this, I had to talk about it on the show. So yeah, if you want to check it out, I'll have a link to the thread in the show notes below. Up next in the show is an interesting topic because this is a about Dev1, which is a fork of Debian that aims to provide a Debian without using systemd. And this is the latest release of Dev1, which is 3.1. It's been six years since the initial pre-alpha of the release of Dev1, and it's been a little while since we talked about it on this show. Uh, but this latest release of Dev1 3.1 edition has a new version, has a new introduction of a different uh, init system. So they they made the, this version of a Debian fork to not have systemd, but they also wanted it to be kind of agnostic to which init system that you would use. So they have added run it for this release. So this means that Dev1 3.1 now supports the option of run it, sys5init, and openrc that can be selected from during the uh, Dev1 installation process. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the run it init daemon, this is also what is used by Void Linux, Antix, and other distros. The Dev1 3.1 is also adding the option to now be able to use the Lilo bootloader for those not wanting to use Grub. I'm not sure the reasoning behind this decision because, if I'm not mistaken, Lilo ended development in 2015. So, I, I don't, I don't. It seems odd that to add support for an unsupported bootloader in your latest release. Anyway, if you're interested in running Debian but don't want to use systemd for some reason, then Dev1 3.1 might be something to look at for you. Uh, I'm fine with systemd personally, but if you aren't, then you'll find links for Dev1 3.1 in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you want to become a patron, you can do so and also get additional perks, not only just contributing to the channel and supporting the show, but you also get to join me during the live streams in the recording stadium because that's for some reason why I call I call it that, uh, to discuss stuff between the topics and also just to hang out after the show each week. You can also order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to dlnstore.com. In addition to that, you can get the This Week in Linux shirt as well as the Destination Linux shirt that I am wearing right now. So check that out at dlnstore.com because it's not only just shirts, it's also hoodies, stickers, mugs, and so much more. So check that out, dlnstore.com. If you like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows 
on the Destination Linux Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week by going to dlnlive.com. Before we go, I just want to take a moment to thank someone who has been helping Twill over the past year. Mark Gilligan, a.k.a. Ulfnick, has been helping me as a producer on the show since the beginning of 2020, and he has been a vital piece of the show, so I just wanted to publicly thank him for helping me out on Twill because it has been making it a lot easier to do the show, and I just I just really wanted to you know uh, publicly thank him for helping me out for as long as he has been. So again, thanks, Mark for helping me make the show. Uh, also, thanks again for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. And uh, again, I'm Michael Tunnell with DLN. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for your weekly source of Linux news. <laughs>